0: Vaporwave News Network Episode 11. Hello and welcome to Vaporwave News Network, a podcast about the contemporary vaporwave scene. We feature news, discussion, and current trends, as well as reporting on upcoming releases and events in the vaporwave, future funk, and adjacent communities. I'm your host, Alex, a.k.a. Trucks Passing Trucks. I run Pacific Plaza Records in addition to DJing and booking events over my past six years of being involved in the Vaporwave community. Welcome to Vaporwave News Network. It's episode 11, covering October 2023, over 12 years since the start of this music genre and art movement. I'm going to talk about some stuff happening in our vapor world this month. But let me first remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media at VW News Network. We're currently on Instagram and Twitter, and I have a TikTok account and Blue Sky account. So please follow us and comment on our posts to help drive that engagement. Over on Blue Sky, if you can get an invite and join, lots of people have invites. There are two great custom feeds coded by Agnos that feature artists, musicians, and people involved in the Vaporwave scene. The two algorithms catch all the posts mentioning Vaporwave in the last seven days as well lots of people have invites like i said earlier so ask around to get on blue sky i also created a profile for my label pacific plaza records and i've been posting some early previews and offhand thoughts you know because like i've only been making promotional posts on twitter and i don't really want to be on there much but it seems like every new drama about vapor related stuff keeps drawing folks back to the platform oh well what are you gonna do We also have two curated playlists on Spotify that you can check out, Contemporary Vaporwave and Fresh Future Funk, which I updated recently, so go check those out if you're looking for some new music to listen to. And a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast or follow us on your platform of choice. If you're checking this out on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe, and if you can leave a rating on your streaming platform of choice, please do that as well. If you're listening on Spotify Mobile, scroll down below the description and you can interact with our polls and Q&A you can also donate to the podcast if you head over to our website on rss.com it'll take you to paypal when you click the link i'm hoping to get that subscription thing figured out before the end of the year and like i said i've been looking at a platform called ghost so if you know anyone that uses it or has used it and can give me some feedback let me know shouts out to joe in chicago cameron in california and rob in england for sending donations into the show recently i really appreciate the sign of solidarity from folks in our community If I missed a donation from you, please send me a gentle message or email so I can shout you out in the next episode. As a reminder, currently only two or three small donations a month through the PayPal link on our current website will help pay for the hosting. So if you feel so inclined to sacrifice the cost of a coffee, check it out. With all that out of the way... What's been going on with me? Well, for our host update here, I've been slogging through the fall and I've been taking on more hours at work than I did the last school year. So I'm still trying to find that balance between everything. I, I've noticed I've had a hard time keeping up with the podcast, doing it biweekly, along with all the other things I like to do with my label, electronics... And you know with like the holidays coming up, I think for now it's best for me to scale back to once a month with the possibility of like special episodes or extra episodes when time permits. And maybe when I have some time off from school during the holiday break, I'll be able to get some extra content going on. But you know, I'd really like to write like with words on uh, either a website or on paper and do interviews, but like as it stands, I've got like so much on my plate and I still need to get the website and subscription thing figured out before the year ends. Well, regardless of that, I'm hoping to get some special content at Flamingo Fest, which is coming up this weekend, so say hi if you see me around. Recently, I also went to the final show of the George Clanton Frost Children DDS tour this past week, and what a show to cap off the 36 dates across the continent. You could really tell everyone was in like peak form and just like letting loose for that final hometown show. The DDS set was kind of short and I arrived a bit late due to traffic and work, like, Thursday night in L.A. is really just as bad as commuting on Fridays. But Frost Children killed it during their set. They pounded us with that golden tempo dance music, plus interludes of uh, new metal and low brow thrash. They even had, like, a weird math rock part in one of their new songs. And, you know, they never let up on their energy the whole set. George also played a great set that covered a good chunk of his catalog and was synced up to some really awesome visuals and lasers. And he had two big stacks of TVs and a giant LED backdrop. The visuals were just so on point and he actually came back for an encore as you know, probably expected, but funny enough that encore was interrupted by a bunch of geniuses climbing up on stage and knocking out the power to his SP, but he restarted it and he finished the show strong. It was really cool writing to a bunch of friends at the show, like completely unplanned. So, you know, shouts out to Pete, Enrail, Natalie and Molo and uh, shouts out to the guy who sold me the ticket for face value. No fees included over Reddit. You're my hero. Continuing on, what am I going to recommend this week? You know, what have I been listening to or watching lately? And this episode, I'm going to recommend an album that's not Vaporwave, but it is celebrating its 20th anniversary this month. And that album is Shoots Too Narrow by The Shins. This is like probably my favorite Shins album. And it came out in 2003. And I actually still own it on CD, which I purchased at Best Buy during the Bush presidency. It has super awesome cutout artwork inside. And I still cherish that CD to this day, even though the colors are kind of fading. A music critic I've mentioned many times on the show, Ian Cohen, recently wrote a retrospective on the album for Stereo Gum and discussed it on his podcast with Stephen Haydn, So I had to give the album a spin again. You know, it seems like every few years I return to that early Shins discography, the first three albums and like assorted EPs, and I'm literally never let down. It's always so great. The drums are so interesting on those first three albums. The production isn't like super shiny, but the lyricism is impeccable. I first realized this album was kind of like a breakup album back in 2011 when I was going through a breakup, but not so much in the woe is me vein, more in like the fuck you, I'm moving on vibe. And I really liked that back in the day and I still connect to that. On my most recent listen, I actually really noticed the 60s style instrumentation and the influences of garage rock and Wrecking Crew era pop. I remember back in my teens, I kind of associate with like twee pop, noise pop, a la, you know, the, C- the C68 bands, but with more of like a warm analog flavor of like a retro era. So, you know, if you like jangly pop rock or want a taste of the softer and catchier side of 2000s indie rock, I recommend you check out Shoots Too Narrow by the Shins. Wrapping up here, I mentioned Flamingo Fest earlier, and yes, you can catch me hanging around and perhaps doing some other things, but uh, I'm also going to have some other things coming up, like playing down in San Diego on Sunday, November 12th, Uniwa at the Whistle Stop for the six-year anniversary of Sweat.biz, aka Pokari Sweat, the longest-running vaporwave future funk and anime groove DJ night in North America. It's so sick that Reese, aka Glotto, has kept it going for so long. And it's like kind of crazy to think that I've been going to it for over four years, and now I've been a resident DJ for two years. So come and celebrate with us if you're in Southern California. The gig is free. So make your way down to San Diego on November 12th. Anyways, enough about what I've been doing. What's been happening in the vaporwave scene this month? Well, we had some big news and continuing band camp turbulence But before that, I'm going to quickly cover shows, podcasts, radio, and other events. So shows, this month there were IRL shows in Wisconsin, Baltimore, Los Angeles, New York, London, St. Louis, Portland. And you know, like I said last month, it's starting to get heated out there. If you're feeling the itch to book a local show, you should do it so we have more grassroots, vaporwave, and small shows where artists can grow into great performers. The George Clanton DDS tour wrapped up, as I mentioned earlier, but the fun doesn't stop, and the 100% crew is heading to Japan for a revamped Neo Gaia fantasy tour with a quip in R23X. Speaking of tours in Japan, Night Tempo finished up his Japanese tour celebrating his new album, Neo Standard, this past month. And remember, you can keep up with the calendar of upcoming shows over at events. And I'm going to be mentioning upcoming events later in the episode as well. So what's been going on in the URL space this month? Well, Hot Takes had an episode in mid-October that was on a Saturday with the UK duo and OG Vaporwave legends, Topaz Gang. And they had to postpone their episode with Device Operator. So hopefully that will be coming up after Flamingo Fest. Rogecorp had his streaming birthday show back on October 21st. And there were a number of album launch streams and listening parties from artists like Late Arcane, CRT Skies, and some other ones that you can go watch on Twitch and on the Bandcamp Live platform. Luxury Aesthetics Virtual Gallery with DJ Non had two episodes, Living With Luxury, which featured a track from the album I'm actually gonna review today. And early in the month, he had Cutting Room Floor with a lot of sample chop heavy tunes. Luxury Elite's Neon Nights is on hiatus until after Flamingo Fest, but she did drop a special Halloween mix on the 31st that you can go watch over on YouTube. The curator of the YouTube channel, Soul Search and Destroy, has been interviewing some synthwave musicians over on their new Voyages channel and still uploads lots of Retrowave and Vapor mixes on the main channel, including some new Halloween-themed ones for October. Big Baby Prophet is streaming all vinyl DJ sets on YouTube every Wednesday night, and he's done a nice mix of mellow and up-tempo stuff lately, including some UK Garage and Breakbeats on his most recent stream. On the podcast and radio front, we had Future Sounds doing an interview with Le Cassette, someone who's more on the synthwave side of things, but hopefully there'll be some kind of special pre-Flamingo Fest episode, if not definitely post-Flamingo Fest episodes. Nightclerk Radio released two episodes, although neither of them were vapor related. They did discuss some seasonal stuff on their horror synth for Halloween and exploring the hearts of space episodes that you can go check out on your podcast platform of choice. As mentioned in the last episode over at Utopia District, they did an econ recap with lots of folks across two different episodes back in September with their part two featuring young Shiro and Luxury Elite, who are both playing Flamingo Fest. DreamSuite FM is broadcasting on Sunday nights over in the UK and online at sign.fm, and you can catch them at 1900GMT. Or if you want, you could even tune in locally if you're in Doncaster at 102.6FM. They also have a show archive on Mixcloud if you can't tune in live. Over on the Ryan Celsius Sounds YouTube page, Villain dropped episode three of their Void TV series, a three and a half hour audiovisual mix featuring many musicians and visuals from people like Downstate, Modest by Default, Spaghetti Max, Zero, Hydra, and Precursor. In other news, I've been seeing the turbulence around the sale of Bandcamp, and I think we're gonna end up covering this fairly regularly. So, you know, instead of using this clever name I was going to use for a certain controversial subgenre, I'm probably going to start having to do a segment now called The Bandcamp Beat. And I'll get into it in the main topic, but a few other things of note lately. The next Bandcamp Friday is November 3rd, and I may mention some releases in the appropriate section, but that weekend is also going to be Flamingo Fest in Los Angeles. Tickets are still on sale, and set times have been released. It's going to be an epic weekend with so much Vaporwave, it's almost like bewildering to behold the amount of people playing. I'm so stoked to see friends again and meet some new people. And I will have some Vaporwave News Network buttons to give out to folks if you catch me around at either of the two gigs. There's also been some controversy over bootlegs with an online shop front actively bootlegging music from artists that are still part of the scene and very supportive of the scene. To reiterate what I said in the last episode, when you look at the prices from some of these bootleggers, whether it's this one or on Etsy, they are clearly for-profit ventures. And now, in addition to that, you have some of them that have showed that they have no issue disrespecting the artists they're profiting off of, which is really unfortunate. So, be on the lookout. And finally, there was some action on the Sunset Corp YouTube page run by Never, aka Daniel O'Potton a six minute music video was uploaded along with the song music of memories from his latest album again as the soundtrack it looks to be kind of like his own cut of a music video for the song which in a recent press release was not able to be completed as him and the director wanted so that kind of leads into the other opn news which is that he has released a zip file with the different assets and components that were going to be used to almost make the video with director free it's available as a kind of DIY music video assembly kit, as one YouTube commenter put it. Through WeTransfer, you can find the link in the video description on the official OPN YouTube page. With all that out of the way, let's move on to upcoming shows and events. Upcoming shows. I'm going to start off with URL stuff. As I've mentioned before, there are labels announcing listening parties on Bandcamp and artists as well. So check out the official Bandcamp homepage for live events and streams to see if there's any labels or vapor names you recognize at bandcamp.com live. Hot Takes was back for an episode at the end of October with Device Operator that got canceled, so they have yet to announce the exact date when they'll redo that broadcast. But both hosts are playing at Flamingo Fest in LA, so I'm sure that's going to kind of factor into their November schedule. On November 30th, there will be an album release stream for Toad of Sky's new album Star World 2 on the Virtua94 Twitch channel. It's a full one-hour visual presentation of the album with eight special guests on the lineup. Catskill Records is hosting KKR Slugfest 3, an online streaming festival December 1st with Luxury Elite, Angel from Fire Tools and Mindspring Memories, Christ, Groceries, and iClick who are celebrating the release of their new album point and direction which is also coming out on super sick final that same day duality fest by pause and reflect music is also going to be happening this winter on december 16th and 17th but also imagine we'll get some christmas stuff being announced soon and i know i want to do a christmas stream again me and mr mellow had so much fun doing it last year and the year before that so we're going to bring it back this december as well On the IRL side of things, the fall is in full swing and people are looking forward to Flamingo Fest as well as a whole host of shows this fall and winter. And speaking of Flamingo Fest, it is finally upon us. Flamingo Fest, put on by My Pet Flamingo in Utopia District, is November 3rd and 4th in Los Angeles at Jewels Catch One in high tide downtown LA. As I mentioned earlier, set times have been released and a lot of people are already on their way to LA. By the time this episode comes out, many of them might be here already. Day one starts bright and early at noon and goes till 9 p.m. While Saturday is going to begin a bit later and we will go into the night with an after party at the end. There are only one day tickets left and that's for Saturday at Jules Catch One with all the headliners. You might be able to find some extra tickets online for the two day, but it's pretty limited capacity for that first show. Maybe check around online and see if you can find anything happening Friday night. I know All Hellbreak Sloops is doing visuals at a show with Moai Shop and some other people if you're into that kind of vibe. Speaking of headliners, it was announced that Internet Club, Cat System Corp, and Friendzone, aka Chlorine Mist, will be some of the surprise guests on the lineup. One of the other headliners, Hotel Pools, is going to be doing a Patchwork West Coast tour after the festival. Starting on November 12th, he'll be playing San Francisco, Sacramento, Seattle, and Portland, some dates with Small Black. On November 5th, there's going to be an event in Atlanta called Future Funk ATL that has a poster uh, strikingly similar to a few other Future Funk nights around the country. Sweat.biz will be back in action at the Whistle Stop for their six-year anniversary in San Diego, California. It's going to be on Sunday, November 12th with special guest Yuni Wa, And like I said earlier, I will also be playing that gig. I'm so excited for it. There's also going to be a show in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, at Trunk Space, which is a really sick DIY spot on November 12th, put together by Desert Dreams. It's going to have Twin Crab, Midnight Drift, and a couple other people playing. On November 26th, Strawberry Station will be playing his first gig in Shibuya, Japan, with a stacked lineup that includes Vantage, Chevron, Kiss Me Nerdy Girl, and more. It was organized by Zuyo as a birthday party for Straw while he's on his trip out there. That's going to be so cool. Yotoki is also doing a show on December 2nd in Atlanta. And then they're going to be in Denver, Colorado on December 16th. There's going to be some events coming up in the new year, but I'm not going to cover them quite yet. If you do have upcoming events that you want featured, please submit it over on our link tree, linktr.ee slash network. And in addition to my event submission form, you can also go over to the Arcology's website at arcology.online to keep their calendar updated and have a consolidated listing of upcoming IRL and URL events. So make sure you head over to their website, arcology.online slash events. Upcoming and current releases. As usual, I'm gonna start off with a review. And for this one, I actually contacted the artist to ask them some questions, because I was digging it so much, and I like wanted to know more. So without further ado, on October 13th, Business Casual released the new album from Late Arcane called Extravagance. The Manchester-based producer has flown under the radar for a few years, but their first releases came out in 2019 And the release prior to this one, entitled Prequel, was on the relaunched Fortune 500 Bandcamp back in June. And I mention that because elements of this new album remind me of the new Luxury Elite album, specifically its sensual and glamorous feeling in addition to the meticulous sample chopping to create new compositions. However, on Extravagance, Late Arcane brings the energy and sometimes entropy of Vapor Trap and Vapor Funk to the table. The stomping drums are straight out of the 80s, but they're overlaid with clattering percussion and skittering hi-hats. The drums push the energy up a notch, closer to future funk territory at times, like on the new age disco banger Continuance. The production on this release is dense and detailed, never relying on a single sample and overlaying fat synth bass as well as keys to fill out the sonic palette. While chatting with the artist, they revealed part of their process to me, which includes cutting multiple samples together in the same track as well as adding the bass keys and a final layer of live finger drumming to give the drums and percussion, quote, a bit more energy. And you can feel that energy in the songs. The nuances in the rhythm, whether it's an epic halftime beat or the swell of a rising climax, give the songs a life of their own outside of the sample sources. Many of my favorite tracks also include vocal samples used as melodic fragments, which craft new melodies that sometimes recontextualize the decipherable lyrics, such as in the title track Extravagance and in the song Confidence. The use of repitched pitched and manipulated vocals reminds me of Death's Dynamic Shroud, but played back over a glorious and epic soundtrack of neo-futurist 80s synth funk. Living up to the album title Extravagance, Late Arcane indulges in sonic excess that feels cinematic, but never overwrought. The production is an evolution beyond the simplistic notions of Vaporwave as slowed and reverb remixes. Instead, Late Arcane uses elements of the past to reconstruct a luxurious Vaporfunk album that skillfully uses digital plunderphonics to transport you back to the glamorous side of the 1980s. You can check out the album over on Business Casual's Bandcamp, and you can pick up a cassette tape while you're there. Getting into current releases and Bandcamp Friday stuff for November 2023, we have Dan Mason, who released his new album *Devil Killer* on October twentieth, and it was also released on CD by Business Casual. It's almost sold out, or maybe sold out by the time this podcast is released. But head over and check it out. It's got a lot of really cool breakbeats on it. U.S. Golf ninety-five dropped another EP. This one's called *Leaf Links*, which has similar album art aesthetics to his well-received breakbeat release earlier this year the music on this one veers back toward the more relaxed and ambient New Age vibe of his earlier work, but drenched in enveloping reverb. Vanitas released a live album featuring the set he played at Future Sounds 4 in London at the end of September, some cool reinterpretations of songs from his catalog, plus a new song, and you can also find a link to a YouTube video of the performance over on The Bandcamp. Continuing their string of singles, Mirror Mirage by Donor Lens featuring Ulele was released on October 13th. They're also playing Flamingo Fest in L.A. this weekend. St. Pepsi and Car Park Records announced a reissue of Gin City in local singles that will be put out on a single vinyl LP. Its packaging is a plain black disco sleeve like the other reissues they've done the past few years. Neon City Records dropped a ton of cassette reissues from some of their biggest releases by Macross, Vantage, Desired, and more. It's quite a lot to list out, so go see for yourself what's still available over on their Bandcamp. They also released a city pop single called Sunday Lonely Night with Habia by Vantage and the Miracle. It's meant to sound like a classic 80s city pop song. It's trying to do a retro version of the retro genre, but in my opinion, it kind of lacks the layers that you find in old school 70s and 80s pop or adult contemporary productions. You know, I think it's a common problem with people trying to reproduce studio-made and session-player-filled records from like the 70s and 80s, but in their own bedroom with a team of digital collaborators instead of a bunch of highly creative studio musicians who, you know, bring their own flavors to the session. And back in the day, brought an instrumental touch that's like really hard to achieve using Ableton or Fruity Loops. It was interesting that I read an interview with Young Bae recently who says he uses a sample replaying service for most of his work now. And having that live instrumentation replaying a sample, I think might feel better than trying to compose from the ground up, you know, for a song like this. But anyway, moving on to more releases, They Friend released some future funk in the form of a single called Kyoto Tokyo, which has two songs over on it, over on their Bandcamp. Very Good Records put out a compilation of tracks called Auto Reverse by a duo called Night Dubbing on cassette. And it is a collection of, quote, laid-back shoegaze and lo-fi grooves, from throughout their current catalog. Berry Good Records will also be doing a digital November, where they release new albums every week as digital-only exclusives, so make sure you're keeping up with them throughout the month. Montame has released a single from Mr. Hustein's track with cello and Christopher Lawless called One Day. It's got some remixes and versions that are great for DJings. The Lay Funk remix is on my Fresh Future Funk playlist. Future Funk producer Hot Singles has put out a few... Singles <laughs> referencing well-known Future Funk songs to tide over the fans until their next album is ready You can check those out on their Bandcamp, or one of the tracks is on our fresh Future Funk playlist as well Groovy Kaiju put out a new album earlier in the month called Groovin' Through the Galaxy Which you can find on his Bandcamp or over on his oceanfront online website where you can get exclusive merch Zai Cowan finally dropped their new album Ocean View on Neon City Records and, you know, we've had a few tracks from that one on the Fresh Future Funk playlist as well over the past few months. Producer Mail, M-A-E-L, which I didn't clarify last episode, put out another album this month, which translates to Death is the Least of Them. And this one has the breakbeat sound of drum and bass, smooth synths, and spiky beats, but does get a little bit harder and veer into that breakcore territory. I actually think Young Shiro from Hot Takes would really dig this album, so if anyone uh, sees Young Shiro, tell him to listen to this. Halcyon Tapes, run by Wizard of Loneliness, put out a new album on October 21st, and it's a Wizard of Loneliness album called Beats for the Kingdom. It's a spiritual successor to his Divine Beats album, and it's a tribute to the new Legend of Zelda game that is the sequel to the game which inspired Divine Beats. One of the tracks from it is on our Contemporary Vaporwave playlist over on Spotify, so go check that out. Producer Opal Vessel released four Barber Beats albums and mixtapes this month, including a split release with Mabissio. And Mabissio also released two other albums, including a collection of Vapor Trap flavored beats called Beat Making Sessions Volume 1 and an ambient Y2K feeling Barber Beats album called Sun Color Eyes. Barber Beats producer Gore released two new albums, and the first one came out on No Problema tapes, which I'll mention later, and their album from later in the month was on their own band camp and it's called Herofant. Godspeed put out their number 21 release that translates to Soiled back on October 13th. And Oblique Occasions released a new album called Ketamine One on their Bandcamp October 29th. Mexican producer Permanent Zimp has released an album called Voltaire on their Bandcamp back on October 1st. Producer Male Alchemy put out a spooky Barber Beats album this month called Ritual over on their Bandcamp. And a Barber Beats split album called Wishmaker 2005 by Snowpoint Lounge and Sylph Skyline came out in October as well. Producer Magdalene released the first two albums in a trilogy of albums, with the first two being titled Manslayer and Dragonslayer, respectively. I wonder what the next thing they're going to slay will be? Go check their Bandcamp to find out for the third album in the trilogy. May Kretsch released two new albums in October, one called The Voice of Someone You Don't Know and the other one called A World Away. Rom Breaker released an album of all original Barber Beats on Friday the 13th. The album is called Near Death Experience and can be found on their Bandcamp. Modest by Default put out a new album, Lumen Technique, that has 12 tracks, with one of them being an original composition as well. Undersaken released a few new albums, one of them called Artifact Sky, which seems to sample a lot of guitar-based music, but tries to shoehorn it into the Barber Beats aesthetic. They also did some experimenting with sampling heavy music on an album that translates to I Won't Let You as well. From previously-reviewed producer Magic, with two A's, there's a new album that is not a Barber Beats album. This one, called Safe at Home, falls into the wave category and has some very VGM vibes. Glacier has released the third album in their Revival Trilogy, as they're calling it. Troubled but Hopeful is the final prelude to new music from Glacier, which will be coming in 2024 according to the Bandcamp description on this new album. French label Mobile Suits released a split album from Room 208 and Sage Hardware called Grievous Angel, which features dream punk breakbeats and some dubstep as well as UK garage aggression. It even has some Sage Hardware screams and vocals on the final track. Producer Vapid is back and they've released a new EP called Speedrun back on October 7th on their bandcamp. And a Signal Wave compilation was released on Tefco's bandcamp recently. It's called Toothpaste Wave and features 20 tracks curated by Tefco. On the net label front, Bogus Collective released a bunch of new albums from artists like Orange, Platinum Towers, Endless Discovery TM, Cool Sun, Zolderot, and more. They also released a digital compilation called the Sony PlayStation 1, which is a tribute to the iconic game console with 28 tracks. Sunset Grid released some digital reissues this month and a new album by Assetique and Eerie plus a compilation called All Stars 6, which has 55 tracks to celebrate the 500th release on the label. Big congratulations to Blue Screen and Rar. Photoshop Co. has released four albums this month, including a Barber Beats album and a reissue of an early DMT Tapes release by Vito's alias Calusa Eisenhower. Christ has released a new single this month called Jimmy that also has a B-side track called Ring That Bell. Maybe he's going to perform them for his upcoming set, Flamingo Fest. We'll see. Canadian producer Graham Cartna, who has been roped in with the Spotify-created webcore genre tag, put out a new album called For Your Safety and the Safety of Others on his Bandcamp, with an animated version of the album on YouTube. Villain dropped some new records and announcements, including digital versions of some supporter-subscriber-only albums that came out on vinyl, plus new albums by Sangam, FM Forest, and Ghoul. Geometric Lullaby dropped some distorted Barber Beats by Skin Dance in very limited quantities across four different releases. I'm not sure if this is like a gag release or a Halloween parody album if I'm being honest, but Geometric Lullaby did reissue the classic album by Hallmark 87, Atrium, on vinyl and dropped a new surprise begotten album titled Death Cycle on October 6th along with a fresh new chapter in the tall tales behind the artist and how Geometric Lullaby acquired the releases. It's perfect stuff for the spooky season. No Problema Tapes put out a pre-order for Rainforest Hill Volumes 1 and 2 by Haven Virtual Plaza on vinyl, as well as new albums by Kagami Smile and one of the new gore albums that came out this month, which was called Victim Complex. There's also been a handful of reissues. No Problema's been super busy in October, so go to their band came and see all the things that have been happening. Gorgeous Lights dropped their October bundle, which featured three albums, Together Under the Sky by Sky Too High, Take Me Away by Sangam, which had three new tracks and four remixes in addition to reissuing the old EP, and Lavish Memories by Vanity. All the cassettes are sold out, but you can listen to the digital over on the Gorgeous Lights Bandcamp. Ray Records put out another bundle of three releases on cassette, featuring two reissues of albums released earlier in 2023 and a new album by Bosby. Pause and Reflect Music will be releasing a new album from anonymous artist Phase 14 called Everything is Horrible on November 2nd for Bandcamp Friday. City Man Productions has been at it with their Sega box set releases all year, but the most recent one is for a 2023 album called Virtual Fantasy by Major Axis. It's got that 90s video game breakbeat sound, and there's also a non-Sega box edition of the album on cassette as well. Underwater Computing released some reissues this month, but also uploaded a mysterious track with a description asking people to guess the artist. The track is called Feel the Magic, and it's over 22 minutes with solar punk inspired artwork. Business Casual had four releases in October. Global Chill, the Barbary's project of Dennis from Geometric Lullaby put out an album called Midnight Smoker on October 6th. And Late Arcane released Extravagance, which we reviewed earlier. Dan Mason released Devil Killer on the 20th, as I mentioned earlier, and Heaven Silhouettes released an album called Borders on October 27th. My label Pacific Plaza released a reissue of one of our earliest releases, PPR-003, which was by VCR Classique. This reissue was given a new name, Fiji Babe, and a new aesthetic, plus an amazing j card design by the artist himself. Unfortunately for you, it sold out in just a few hours, but I'm thinking that we're going to do a second edition, so... Let me know if you want us to bring this late-night lo-fi classic back. We also have some unique Barber Beats releases in the pipeline, so stay tuned to our social media for more information. If you have an upcoming release you'd like to send to us for coverage, please go to our link tree and use the upcoming release submission form. That's linktr.ee slash vaporwave news network. For our main topic today we're doing a follow-up to last month's news about the sale of bandcamp welcome to the bandcamp beat we're taking a deep dive into the sale of independent music and merchandise distribution platform bandcamp and its recent acquisition by tech company and music licensing platform Songtrader from the tech firm epic games so what's been going on since the sale of bandcamp to Songtrader? well first a quick summary of how we got to where we are at this moment Bandcamp was sold to Epic Games in March 2022 and after a year and a half in a lawsuit with Google, which I'll mention later, they quietly sold off Bandcamp to SongTrader in September 2023 during a round of layoffs and downsizing, in line with the downsizing and triage we've seen across the tech and gaming industry this year. I'll start off by saying that the extreme doom and gloom and panic still kind of seems a bit unwarranted at this point many people are fermenting doubts that have not materialized for users and musicians. Fans can still purchase music and merchandise with assurances that people will be paid and downloads are still available. Also, you can easily back up your whole collection with a handy tool called Batch Camp over on GitHub. We're going to put a link in the description. After the sale was announced, through a SongTrader blog post that I mentioned in my previous episode, there was a flurry of questions and weary responses to the news back on September 28th. You could check out the deep thread covering these questions and more that was tweeted by the Future of Music Coalition. It's linked in the previous episode's show notes. One particular thing that users across the social media world pointed out was that the Bandcamp Union was under threat and was still yet to meet with Epic Games for negotiations that were scheduled for early October. And sadly, there has been some resolution in the case of the Union, but I'm going to get back to that later as well. On October 5th, SongTrader announced that layoffs would be happening and everyone's panic level immediately started to rise song trader claimed quote based on its current financials bandcamp requires some adjustments unquote but as many have reiterated up until the epic game sale of the company it had been profitable in my own opinion there is a possibility that things have shifted since then because of the continuation of bandcamp friday and an, like a general slowdown in economic spending on non-essentials which, you know, you could easily argue physical media on Bandcamp and downloads fall under that category. However, I think that some of song traders downsizing at Bandcamp would have occurred anyway as redundant positions or new spreads of responsibilities to current employees would have happened during an acquisition. And unfortunately, there has been layoffs and even more than I think people thought were going to happen. On October 16th, the details of the Bandcamp layoffs revealed a thorough gutting of the company, especially the editorial and customer support staff. As reported by the SFGate of Bandcamp's 118 employees, 58 did not receive offers and 60 did. Former senior editor at Bandcamp Daily, JJ Solnick, confirmed the reports and shared insight into the disproportionate amount of not only editorial staff let go, but also union members and union leadership that was let go. Also, an interesting note, quote, Bandcamp co-founder and former CEO Ethan Diamond's Slack account is also now deactivated, according to a screenshot viewed by SFGate. And on Reddit and Twitter, I was able to find posts that supposedly detailed the layoffs. Only three people are left in the editorial departments, that's Bandcamp Daily, and quote, most of the layoffs were in dev and customer service, HR and executive level, unquote, according to a post on Reddit. And of course, we know Ethan Diamond, the former CEO, has abandoned the platform. And I will note that some Reddit users also mentioned that before Epic's purchase, the staff was around 80 people. So as it stands, the SongTrader layoffs leave Bandcamp with about 25% less staff than before Epic Games acquisition back in 2022. Epic has said since the announcement that they had a hand in the layoffs, noting that these are not new layoffs in a statement to Vulture magazine. And CEO of SongTrader Paul Wiltshire complained about the blossoming operating costs at Bandcamp, but he did not explicitly say the platform is losing money. And I will say that it is weird that such a small company bought out a substantial platform like Bandcamp in order to monetize the library of music on the platform. You know, there's some of the music on there is great, but there is a lot of like kind of middling crap, demos, covers, and other things, you know, on Bandcamp that. Really takes up a lot of uh, storage space as opposed to interesting vaporwave albums or indie rock albums or whatever. Many folks on social media and Reddit have mentioned the concept of enchidification and how it applies to the situation with Bandcamp, with some users connecting it back to the money taken from venture capitalists as far back as 2010. While we will no doubt see this enchidification for Bandcamp daily, The jury is still out on whether the platform experience for musicians will degrade and if the features will change. We do know that at this point, they let customer service folks go, but maybe some of the responsibilities are now in the hand of pre-acquisition song trader employees. You know, that could have its own problems and complications, but redundant staff definitely seems to have been a concern during the layoffs. As reported in the SFGate article, SongTrader's representative provided a statement to the SF Gate in which the firm committed to keep running Bandcamp's popular Bandcamp Friday promotions and the editorial arm Bandcamp Daily, but several members of the writing staff have been laid off. One of my questions would be, is Bandcamp Friday going to continue into 2024? Is Bandcamp Daily just going to keep getting downsized as we go into 2024? You know, the loss of editorial staff was a big blow to people across the independent music world especially as one of the retained editorial staff was revealed to be an anti-union jerk with a history of sour relations with writers and people who used to pitch Bandcamp Daily during his original tenure as editor. A tweet by writer Lear Galil encapsulates what is so potentially disastrous about losing the breadth of Bandcamp Daily's coverage that was provided by the excellent writers and former staff. They said, quote, so frustrated and saddened by the layoffs at Bandcamp, the editorial work at the site Published did a lot to document independent music as news outlets around the world have let their arts and culture coverage fall apart through cuts and attrition, unquote. And we could definitely see some of those cuts and attrition here in this example as well. I mentioned a lawsuit with Google earlier, and that lawsuit has since been settled. In the lawsuit, Epic did not want to pay a fee to the Google Play Store, specifically related to Fortnite in-app microtransactions originally, and they tried to leverage Bandcamp, who was going to be facing a similar demise. However, as was pointed out by Dan Jackson from Google, Bandcamp was still able to distribute their app to Android customers through many other avenues and was not solely restricted to the Play Store, according to an article by The Verge back in 2022. And it's not like Apple, where there's only one Apple App Store for Android, you can buy and download from different platforms besides the Google Play Store. Bandcamp seems to have been used as ammunition for Epic Games in the lawsuit, and unfortunately, it is a worrying sign for the company to be passed around like a hot potato between tech firms that come from a venture capital mindset and corporate business market. Make no mistake, SongTrader proudly states their cozy relationships with major labels and multinational corporations all over their website. And then finally, the last thing I'll mention is union busting. There's been a lot of accusations of Epic Games and or SongTrader engaging in union busting techniques during this round of layoffs. In a recent expose by 404 Media, they revealed, quote, Bandcamp's entire union bargaining team, eight union leaders democratically elected by their peers to negotiate their first union contract, were laid off by Epic and not offered new positions at SongTrader. But SongTrader said that it made decisions about which Bandcamp employees it would keep before they knew their union status. In a follow-up article, 404 Media's Emmanuel Mayberg reported that all eight elected leaders of the Bandcamp United Union, as well as nearly two-thirds of the entire union bargaining unit, were among those laid off. And from that article, the Mary Sue also wrote on their website that, quote, the union which would cover all non-managerial, non-supervisor workers, which at the time of unionization was 62 people, 40 of them were laid off by SongTrader, After the 404 Media story was first published, SongTrader told 404 Media in an email that, quote, employees were extended offers based on the factors they previously described before we knew the composition of or met with any of the bargaining team members, unquote. And while we can't see the documents or internal communications between Epic Games and Song Trader, it is a shame that 50% of the staff will be let go, and we have no further progress towards union recognition or updated and improved features for Bandcamp. Obviously, I will keep people updated on the situation, but like I mentioned earlier, there are resources and sources you can go check out in our notes and in our last episode. And if you want to back up your entire Bandcamp collection, go check out BatchCamp over on GitHub, and it can help you out with that. A final thing to end on a lighthearted note i did see a funny comment in a thread on reddit while i was uh, doing research for this and someone asked how much hard drive space 835 vaporwave albums would take up and the response was great quote vaporwave is a real thing question mark i thought it was just a meme i could only laugh and shake my head And on to our final segment, my favorite segment, this week in vaporwave history. And we got another doozy for this one. I mean, I feel like I say that every time, but this one is super important. So we're gonna go back. On October 25th, 2011, the album Farside Virtual by James Ferraro was released on the formative experimental label, Hippos and Tanks, who at the time were also releasing music from the likes of Autre Nouveau, Arca, Grimes, Hype Williams, and fellow Vaporwave progenitors that I've mentioned in our history segment before, games. A succinct, albeit non-exhaustive, summary of the album was described in a 2020 Resident Advisor re-review. Quote, The album is essentially a collection of recordings taken from an entirely digital environment, cobbled together on GarageBand, and initially intended for release as a series of smartphone ringtones. Unquote. In a Red Bull Academy interview, James Ferraro talks about the album originating as a set of ringtones, but a set that had the impact of a full album when listened to together. Ultimately, he never realized the consumer ringtone performance art aspect of the idea on a mass scale, but the album, despite being grossly out of step with turn of the aughts music trends, has gone on to have a huge impact in the vaporwave scene and beyond. Many reviews have explored the album and try to encapsulate the sounds within. Just to give, I guess, a few examples, the Quietus called it a symphony of 16 spiraling arpeggiated miniatures punctuated by the recognizable whoosh and clunk of Windows iDents and voices from Second Life. And Pitchfork mentioned, quote, Quite a few tracks feature a robotic voice speaking to you, providing a bizarre world-building aspect to the project. The propulsive MIDI symphony of Dubai Dreamtone and the stiff jazz on Adventures in Green Footprinting are undeniable and surprisingly affecting, like a cyborg Vince Girardi was placed in front of a keyboard and told to knock out some somber tunes. Writer Liam Hoare described it as, quote, common virtual sounds, such as the Skype login sound, synthesized voices, elevator music, dated electronic sounds, and soul-suckingly corporate Muzak, along with original MIDI instrument compositions. Farrar himself has said, quote, It's mainly just trying to create some kind of symphonic music based off of ringtones or startup chimes or computer noises and just things that are in our infrastructure. Of course, the album goes much deeper than the surface-level sounds, and it presents, as per the Resident Advisor review, a painfully vivid post-noise take on ambient, chiptune, and lo-fi pop in a high-tech world. In the Sunbleached review of Farsight Virtual, the writer goes into the concept of hyperrealism, the concept of the artificial and the real being indistinguishable. He writes that, Farsight Virtual embodies hyperrealism in concept and production. It walks an unexpectedly fine line between genuine listenability and mindless corporate blather." Unquote. Rooted in the philosophy of Jean Baudrillard, hyperrealism is, quote, the simulation of something which never really existed, which we can, in turn, easily apply to Vaporwave's ontology of nostalgia whether that's for a misremembered past, unrealized future, places that are familiar or foreign, through co-opting corporate, cultural, and capitalist signifiers like sampled music, retro mimetic soundscapes, appropriated logos, ripped video, and repurposed graphic imagery and screenshots to build a new world. In Farsight Virtual, many of the formative traits of Vaporwave can be found, mixing high art and low art treating corporate or capitalist detritus as meaningful sonic artifacts of humanity, taking nostalgic or remembered sounds and twisting them into a stark palette of digital modernity and digitally mediated life in the 21st century. Even the sonic fidelity in its HD sheen, routinely noted in reviews, would inform subgenres of vaporwave such as Utopian Virtual, Midiwave, Office Soft, Metro Song, and even Vapor Trap. The album deserves a much more in-depth analysis, obviously, but there are plenty of reviews and interviews with Ferraro from around that time. And heck, I haven't even touched on the album's artwork, which in itself would go on to be influential in the genre. It's a digitally fuzzed out Google Street View in what looks to be New York City, overlaid with two digitally rendered iPads with late 90s and early 2000s aesthetic imagery melting into the screen. Meanwhile, the back of the highly collectible vinyl release features part of a Coke can, the Disney D, wired pastel and white earbuds, and a digital music player button from what looks to be the iTunes UI. The bold look and collage of corporatism and technology no doubt inform many pieces of album artwork and vaporwave visual artwork, not only in the recent past, but in the early days as well. Ferraro himself said, pieced together from interviews, quote, the record is just the contained gallery space of these ringtone compositions. It's simultaneously an art object and music piece. When you try to analyze Farside Virtual as just a musical object, you really can't because it doesn't address the conceptual nature of it. If you really wanna understand Farside Virtual, first off, listen to Debussy, and secondly, go into a frozen yogurt shop. Afterwards, go into an Apple store and just fool around, hang out in there. Afterwards, go to Starbucks and get a gift card. They have a book there on the history of Starbucks, buy this book and go home. If you do all these things, you'll understand what Farside Virtual is because people kind of live in it already. If you'd like to read a more in-depth analysis of this album and its connections to vaporwave and digital plunder phonics, a whole other topic I really didn't touch on, you could check out an article by Liam Hoare that I'm going to link in the description. It's a lengthy and thoughtful piece on this iconic album. Okay, well, I hope everybody has enjoyed this week's episode of Vaporwave News Network. As always, you can find some of the stuff I mentioned in the episode notes. We have a Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and TikTok, where I post highlight graphics and videos with releases mentioned in each episode. So make sure you give us a follow and repost the content. Reposting really helps me out. You can find us on social media at VW News Network. And... Reminder, I have the TikTok where I'm posting content from our episodes. And go check out Blue Sky. I'm posting way more there than I am on Twitter. It's quite pleasant. So get yourself an invite before Twitter becomes a paid platform. If you'd like to submit something to the show, check out our link tree with all the links and submission forms at linktr.ee slash Vaporwave Network. If you want to get in contact with us, you can also do it through our email, vaporwavenewsnetwork at gmail.com. This podcast is sponsored by Pacific Plaza, but if you're a reputable label looking to advertise or sponsor the show, please get in contact with me. I've been your host, Alex, aka Trucks Passing Trucks. If you want to find me or my label on social media, you can look up Pacific Plaza Rec. That's Pacific Plaza, R-E-C, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or Blue Sky. I also have an Instagram page for my music and DJing shenanigans over at Trucks Passing Trucks, all one word. I'm playing down in San Diego on November 12th, And I might be doing something special on Saturday night at Flamingo Fest. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you tune in to future episodes of the Vaporwave News Network. From our part of the Vapor world, this is Alex, signing off until next time. Vaporwave News Network.